Jesus. You have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And you can identify with the choir as they give him praise. How precious is the name of Jesus. And I love him too. I love Jesus. He's been picking me up for a long time. Yes, sir. Every time I fall. He's been picking me up for quite a while. He's faithful. He's committed. He'll never leave us. Thank you, God. He'll never forsake us. Oh, how precious. If I could sing, I would have got a little bit of that. Key word, if. <laughs> Probably don't want to try to take it from Sister Nita, though. You want to try to take it? <laughs> God bless you. Let's uh, get page six of our programs. Page six of our programs. So we continue our journey through Mark's gospel. Mark 13, verses 14 through 23. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And the women who are praying and those who are nursing him in those days. Pray that it may not happen in winter. For the Lord says, had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Together, but be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Amen. It's the word of God. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for another privilege to preach your word, to hear it preach, therefore to hear you preaching to us through your servant. I come because that is my aim, that is what I want to happen. I want to preach your word, and I want and desire for people to hear you preaching through me. So I willingly and I gladly there's nothing else I can really do. I willingly and gladly yield to the Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit, use me. Enable me to preach and teach your word. I yield to you because when it comes to answering the disciples' question, you're the only one that has it all together. I can make a mess, but you have it all together. And I yield to you because your word only comes with power. Is preached in the demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. I pray for the hearers of your word. Grant us together understanding of your word. Grant us together true repentance in our hearts. Grant us together to see your goodness and your mercy even in this difficult prophecy. Bless us, unite our hearts to fear your name, that we may hear your voice. Protect us from the distractions of our flesh, the world, the devil, and help us to discipline ourselves against distractions. I pray, Father, that there will be such reverence for your word and for you in this place that phones would be put in purses and that or in pockets are turned off. You're just too great to be listened to casually. I pray, Father. Even our parents have to make young people mad. Help us to make them mad for truth. It's just too much, Father. It's too urgent. Pray that adults would set examples 
would hear your word together. And here I stand, Father, with trembling before you. But I cannot not preach. So use me. And the only thing that makes sense after and when and during the time you're using me is to see your greatness and give you glory. In Jesus' name. Tribulation part two. The tribulation part two. This, as I have shared, has been a very difficult passage, this whole, this Olivet Discourse. And I have learned that. Uh, Nobody, including me, has it all together when it comes to eschatology, the end times. But also, as you heard me say last week, I am committed to preaching the truth of God's word and preaching it in its context. So this is the tribulation part two, okay? It's really one outline, but you know, it takes me a minute. So today I want to preach verses 15 through 20. Um, they're very uh, practical uh, to some degree. But there's some interpretive challenges again, verses 19 and verses 19. But the tribulation part two. Last Lord's Day, uh, I labored to help you to understand in preaching the tribulation part one, the abomination of desolation. And if you remember how I laid that out, first uh, I interpreted the verse in terms of what it means, abomination, something that is uh, repugnant. Detest, detestable to God. Desolation is the uh, defiling, the uh, deserting of, particularly in the context, the temple. Okay? And what I wanted to do is show you the directions in which it points. Okay? Because we saw, we saw it in Daniel 9, Daniel 11, and Daniel 12. Remember? And I argue that it pointed to something that happened in the past in Daniel's prophecy. Okay? Epiphanies, remember? Oh. Worship Zeus in the temple, sacrifice the pig. Then I argue that it points to the near future in terms of 
of uh, AD 70, which happened about 40 years uh, after Jesus' words. We talked about Titus in the Roman army, remember? Then I argue that it points to the distant future. And I showed you in Holy Scripture where the desecration of the temple will happen again because Mark argues that this is a person right in the future the Antichrist today I want to continue uh, my exposition of these amazing verses because Jesus' words were well, the last words that I covered in verse 14 there, there's a commandment in verse 14 when you see this abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be let the reader understand remember um, those words argues that Jesus' words are swollen with meaning, pregnant with meaning okay then Jesus says let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains for safety for security and I connected that understanding why they're fleeing. They're fleeing from the judgment of God. And I connected that with the need to flee to Christ to escape judgment. So the prophecy of abomination in verse 14. In verse 15, let's see what this prophecy demands. The prophecy demands urgent flight. Urgent flight. In verses 15 and 16, hear the urgency in these words as I read them again. Uh, Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Verse 15 and 16. Now remember the disciples are not to flee because they fear what the enemy would do. But they are to flee because God desires them, the Lord Jesus, to remove themselves when everything stands poised for the divine judgment to fall. When the divine judgment falls, all who trust in themselves, their might, their leaders, their election, their temple will be judged along with the religious system they represent. We have to flee. All who take their stand with Jesus will leave the temple and the city to its fate. Remember, Jesus left the temple, verse 1, a picture 
of the glory departing. What do we learn here from these verses about fleeing? Well, beginning in verse 15 and 16, we see the priority in this fleeing, the priority. There are two key admonitions in this verse. First, uh, no one on the roof of his house was to go inside to get any belongings. Now, we cannot allow 21st century minds to transport that and say, well, we're on the roof. Well, I mean, the likelihood of any of us being on the roof is not likely, is it? I mean, I know I probably wouldn't be on the roof. I'm not too good with heights. So I probably wouldn't be on the roof. So it's talking to these people in this context. And you ask, why would, why, why would any of them be on the roof? Let's step out of our context and go to theirs. Okay? The roofs of Palestinian houses were flat. They were flat. And it was the custom in Jewish Palestine to use the flat roof of one's house, for example, they would use it for prayer. Jeremiah 19.13, Zephaniah 1 5, and you see it in Acts 10.9. They would use it for sleep. 1 Samuel 9.25. They would use it for storing or drying fruit. Joshua 2.6. They would use it for proclaiming good news, Isaiah 15, 3, 22, 1, Matthew 10, 27. And they would use it for celebrating festivals, Nehemiah 8, 16. So, not like our day. We don't use roofs for that, for those purposes, right? We use roofs to make sure that no rain and nothing gets in the house. Different, different culture. So, you understand then why... Why, why, why Jesus would say, uh, if you're on the roof, because there, there would be a, a, a good possibility that, that they would be on the roof. Right? Now, in order to get to the roof, a person had to go up an outside staircase. The staircase was normally in the back of the house, so if people were to come down from the roof and go back in to get some possessions, they would have to go around the front to get them. Jesus shows the urgency of the moment by instructing people on the roof not even to entertain the idea <laughs> of going into the house to get belongings. Make sense? Well, once they were down the staircase, they must keep going. See, Jesus is deliberately overstating this for, because he wants to impress it on our minds. Time is of the essence. 
When you see this, if you're on the roof, when you see this sign, don't think about whether you should flee. Just obey the command. Don't even go in the house. It's urgent. Secondly, no one in the field was returned to the house for his or her outer garment. Still stressing that urgency, you hear it? Now, beloved, it's one thing to be warned not to enter one's house and try to pack up some valuables and goods in preparation of a move or a long journey. Jesus says the danger is so great, the urgency is so pressing, you cannot even run to the house to get a coat. It's like fleeing from a burning building, right? Better to flee and later be uncomfortable than to run back and risk death. Would an outer garment be important? Well, of course, the outer garment was used at night to keep a person warm in the daytime. Uh, it was taken off to allow freedom of movement while they were working. So the outer garment was important, especially in their day, because uh, it would act as a blanket to keep a person warm at night. And Jesus instructed people that they should not go back to get it. Head for the mountains immediately. <laughs> in other words, Crisis takes precedence over conflict. They must interrupt whatever they're doing, whether relaxing on the roof or working in the fields. When you see this, flee with haste. Think about this command to flee. Doesn't it seem out of place? Because Jesus tells them in verse 9 to expect persecution, then in verse uh, 15 and 16, seemingly to escape from it. Well, again, the answer here, he is not telling them to flee suffering for the sake of the gospel. It's not why he's telling them to flee. He, he's simply telling them to flee, to avoid being slaughtered, watch this, in a God-ordained military campaign. God is judging, right? Yeah, yes, die for the gospel if it comes to that, but, but don't die for the temple. <laughs> See, at various times in history, Israel fled into the temple as a fortress of refuge. Jesus counsels them to fly away from it, flee away from it, mm -hmm. because there's no divine protection in the temple, only mm -hmm. in Christ. There's no divine protection just being a member of the church, only in Christ. The temple is like a dead and withered fig tree in this context. It is about to be pulled from the ground, burned. There's no time to return, even for the most basic necessities. So, to let possessions reduce the urgency by a split second is to flirt with destruction. That's what Jesus is saying. 
we can learn from Jesus' words. I know we're not in Judea. I know we're not on the roof. I know we're not in the field working. But we learn from, from this, first of all, that the Lord Jesus permits us to provide for our own safety in times of calamity. Fleeing doesn't diminish your character, right? God, of course, like he said in verse 11, gives special help as we stand for the gospel. God in verse 15 and 16 wants us to make sure that we understand, make sure we do not neglect whatever preparations we can make. In other words, don't stand there and say, I trust God, but he commands you to flee and your feet are not moving. <laughs> you know what trusting God means in this context? Flee. Because it's his word that says flee, right? Paul, Paul fled from one city to another to protect his own life so he could go on presenting the gospel. We need courage and wisdom, beloved. Courage and wisdom. This lesson that I'm teaching you is, has wide application and for our lives. As I just stated, let me expand on it just a little more. But believers, true disciples of Jesus Christ, we are not supposed that God will take care of us and provide for us while we make no use mm -hmm. of the means mm -hmm. and common sense he's given us. Listen, I, I, I and, and you as well, we expect God to help us in our time of need, don't we? Yeah. But we, we must expect it in the diligent use of the means that he's given us. So you profess to trust God, you only sit still and do nothing, then nothing that you're doing is simply not trusting God. Lord, teach me your word, but you don't open the Bible. Lord, I want a better prayer life, but you don't pray. Lord, I want to turn from this sin, but you don't turn. <laughs> you don't even hear. If we're trusting God, and I know in every single situation, sometimes that's all you can, you, you, you can do is stand there. There's nothing else you can do. But for the most part, we'll say we're trusting God, but we're not making use of the means that he's given us. And I'm arguing that's not trusting God. Nobody who sits idly by and says, well, I'm not, I'm not fleeing because uh, I believe God's going to do that uh, Egyptian thing like he did uh, uh, back in Egypt. And I, I believe God's just going to come and deliver us. No, God can't go against himself. If he said flee is the way of protection, then you better get your feet moving. All right. There's a lesson here about obedience. You're on the housetop, come down, don't go in the house. 
You're in the field, start running, don't even get your coat. What does it tell us about obedience to Christ? It tells us it is always a priority. Now listen, this, this might hurt a little bit. I know it did me. The Lord was teaching me this passage. Sometimes, and what I'm about to say actually, actually comes out of my own life, okay? Sometimes we're quick to obey the Lord when we're in trouble. Because we want his protection. Some of you right now, perhaps, just casually listening, not even paying a lot of attention. If you end up in the emergency room at 1.30, mm -hmm. I bet you'll pay attention to God. You'll pay attention to God. You'll be calling me to come pray to him too. Because sometimes we're just quick to obey the Lord. But we're in trouble because we want him to get us out of trouble and protect us. Yes, but what the Lord Jesus is teaching me here, even through uh, showing them the urgency of life, obedience to the Lord is always a priority. It's a priority when I'm in trouble, it's a priority when I'm not in trouble. Yeah. Right? Yes. And you may think, well, if the, uh, 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 if the Roman army is coming, Titus and the Roman army are coming, then it's easy for them to obey this command. No, it's not. It's not easy for them to obey this command. Because, please understand, that Jesus is commanding them to leave their city, leave their place of worship, leave their people when the Gentile enemy of God's holy city, temple, and people come down. That's what Jesus is telling them to do. That's not easy for them. Remember when they came to arrest Jesus in the, in the garden? The, the disciples were, were, were not uh, men that were fearful. Peter put out his sword. Cut Malchus' ear right off. No, no, they, they, they would have been more prone to fight. But Jesus says, you've got to go against your natural tendency to pull out your sword and fight. You've got to run. My command is to run. And you know what? Obedience to God is always a priority. We always have to go against our natural fleshly desires. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's always a priority. So listen. It's a priority when you're in trouble. It's a priority. When the sun is shining and the temperature is 70 and there's a cool breeze, it's still a priority. When everything is well with you, it's always a priority. And I'll tell you something else, it's always urgent. You know why? Mina and I are doing a study of, of, of obedience and uh, I start to study off with with this great truth that our obedience must be grounded in the blessedness of God with an understanding of who he is and why he is worthy of all obedience. Yeah. Because if we're not obeying God uh, out of an understanding of 
who he is, then our obedience is just legalism. Right? It's always urgent. It's always urgent because of the greatness of God, the greatness and sovereignty of his power and his word. It's always urgent to obey him. It always makes sense. You know when Jesus has been wrong about something? <laughs> Never. Hallelujah. In fact, he can't be wrong. He doesn't even have the ability to be wrong. I wonder in what areas of your life are you most tempted not to take Jesus' words as true? Do you, do you really trust him? Do you really think right now as I preach to you, Jesus actually knows what he's talking about? Mm -hmm. do, do, do you actually believe that Jesus has your best interest, my best interest, and mine? Think about any area of your life. You trust what he says about money? Do you say, well, no, if I do that, I can't do that, so. Our teenagers are studying gospel sexuality on Wednesday. Teenagers, do you trust what Jesus is saying about sexuality? Husbands, do you trust what he's saying? Or, or do we just love our wives when they do what we want them to do? What about that area of your life where you, if you will, struggle greatly with sin and entangled most? Are you really trusting him? Are you, are you really trusting what he's saying? Do you really believe he's right? Yes, sir. I told the man this morning, it's, easily, it's, it's easier to say amen to that mm -hmm. than it is to actually live it. All right. I'm calling you to evaluate your life yes. in light of who Jesus is and who you, who you say you believe he is. Yes, you said you believe he's Lord and Savior? Do you really trust what he says? Trusting in the context is fleeing. Nobody can say they trust Jesus and don't flee. All right, go on. In John's Gospel, in 14, 21, Jesus said, Whoever has or many knows my commandments and keeps, obeys them, he it is who loves me. Do you love him? This is a nice little litmus test here. Know and keep his word. You trust and do what he says because you know that Jesus actually does know what he's talking about. Yes, sir. You know what the Bible calls that? Obedience. <laughs> Obedience. Listen, illustration. 
Young people, you, you, you know why when, when mom or dad tells you to do something, then you go and do the opposite? Because you're saying, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know anything about life. They don't know what they're talking about, so you're going to do the very opposite. And then, because you're in a covenant family, God will let you get in trouble and reveal that in your practice you were saying you don't know, they don't know what they're talking about. Then you find out, man, they knew what they were talking about. <laughs> I wish I had done that. And here's the reality. Sometimes we parents don't know what we're talking about. Don't take that and run with it, young people, okay? Because anytime they give you the word of God, they know what they're talking about. But because of our sinfulness, sometimes we don't know what we're talking about. But that's never the case with Jesus. And in him is light. There's no darkness at all. He always knows what he's talking about because he's the omniscient God that knows all things. He knows them all immediately. He never learns anything. He knows everything immediately. So he always knows what he's talking about. So why wouldn't you trust someone who loves you so much, so much mercy, so much goodness, so much faithfulness, always has your best interests at heart. And sometimes these commands are hard to obey. They gotta leave their city, they gotta leave their belongings, they gotta leave their houses, and they've gotta leave immediately, and they've gotta run. But Jesus knows. That's the priority. Obedience is always a priority. You with me? You know when obedience is not a priority? Never. It's always a priority. The problems in, in this fleeing, the problems in this fleeing, we see in verses 17 and 18. The problems in this fleeing. Just because the, the Lord, when the Lord tells us to obey, the, the, don't, the, the, don't think it's going to be like riding a bike downhill all the time. <laughs> Sometimes it'll be like riding the bike down here and you can just coast. But because we have this constant battle against the flesh, the world, and the devil, it's going to be like going up here. Notice what he says is the problems in this fleeing. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray. That's what he says, right? That it may not happen in winter. Now, I love Jesus. This, this word, alas, I wonder why I said alas. What does that mean? Uh, it's actually an exclamation that denotes the pain and grief that Jesus is feeling. It's saying that Jesus actually felt special compa compassion for the expectant and nursing mothers whose conditions would hinder their flight. 
An expected woman or a woman with a nursing child cannot drop her burden and run. It's hard, right? She'll face an alpha dilemma and therefore even greater danger. I'm reminded of the words of Christ in Luke 23, 28, and 29. Uh, Jesus at Calvary says, but turning to them, Jesus says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. It's going to be difficult. For pregnant women, those who are nursing, they will not be able to move fast. That's a problem, isn't it? I'll tell you another problem if it happens in the wintertime. That's a problem. Jesus said, yes, he commands uh, urgent flight, verse 14, verse 15, verse 16. Don't even get your coat. But if it happens in the, in the wintertime, you know, that can spell death in the mountains. No cold. See, the danger of flight in winter is that the streams will be swollen by heavy rains. It would be impossible to cross. It could prevent many from reaching a place of refuge. So in the winter, there are swollen rivers and, 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 and it will be difficult to, to cross the small streams, to cross the Jordan. As they made their way out of Judea, it will be difficult if it's wintertime. That's a problem. Wouldn't you agree? It's a problem if a woman's pregnant. It's a problem if a woman's nursing a child. It's a problem if it happens in the wintertime, if what happens in the winter, wintertime. Keep it together. If AD 70 happens in the wintertime, it's a problem. But learn this. Difficulties does not equal the right to disobey the Lord. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> it will be difficult for pregnant women and children, right? It will be difficult if it's wintertime. Jesus says, well, I better go back and change that command. I better reconstruct my plan. Difficulties does not change the command to obey. We stand in difficulties. Sometimes it's so difficult, isn't it? Young people, you know about that, right? You ran all of your friends and they, they saying everything but, but what's right. Difficult to bring Jesus up in that context. But just because it's difficult doesn't mean you have the right to disobey. Just because obedience is going to require some major adjustments, perhaps some persecution for Christ, it doesn't mean you have the right to disobey. Jesus doesn't change the command. Right? I mean, Pastor, that sounds, that sounds hard, what Jesus is saying. Well, the obedience is hard. In fact, it's so hard that we can only do it in the power of the Spirit. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard. Oh, oh, it's hard. Uh, uh, so, uh, pastor, what in the world do we need to do? Well, you need to listen to my next point. <laughs> you see the priority in the fleeing? You see the problems in the fleeing? And problems the, uh, and difficulties does not equal I have the right to disobey. What's, what do I need to do? Go back to verse 18. Look at the very beginning of it. You need to pray. We need to pray. The prayer in the fleeing. Right? Because that woman doesn't have strength to carry that child and run like that. Unless she's pregnant, she doesn't have the strength to run like that. And if it's winter time, the river will be swollen. Jordan will be difficult, if not impossible, to cross. What do I need to do? I need to pray. Yes, yes, sir. Here you go, Pastor, with that prayer stuff, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Pray, is what he says. Watch. Verse 14. You see it. Watch. Pray. Verse 18. Right? Pray. What do I need to pray for? Well, according to the context, you need to pray for temporary advantages. Right? What do I mean by that? Well, do you know that God is so sovereign? He can moderate the weather. I know He can do it. I read about Him doing it. Jesus in this storm one time with his disciples. And Jesus was asleep in the storm. And the disciples were in the storm and the storm was in them. <laughs> it's one thing to be in the storm, but when it gets in you, woo boy. Water getting over the boat, they're trying to throw water out, out of the boat. You know what Jesus did? He didn't get up in pain and say, oh my goodness, I didn't know it was like this. Jesus stepped up and spoke to the wind he created. He said, for the wind to cease, and spoke to the water he created and told the water to lie down. Boy, those disciples said, what kind of man is this? The wind and the water obey his will. He's the sovereign God, fully God, fully man. What do we need to do when we're struggling with difficulties and problems? We need to pray, God, change the temporal advantages. Give me temporal advantages. The Lord is sovereign. Get a river that seems uncrossable? Pray. You need strength to run because your strength is gone and you're burdened by this and by that. Pray. Trying to keep your children safe, aren't you? From the difficulties around them. Pray. God is sovereign. God is able. Forget about praying. I remember I was listening, I was in Dallas, I was listening to, uh, we were, we were at, um, uh, back in the 90s, um, Dr. Tony Evans was preaching, and uh, 
he's preaching and he's uh, illustrating uh, power of prayer. And he said they were, uh, one time he was at this big, huge stadium. And uh, he's at this stadium and you know, he's got to preach. And he and some more preachers were on the, on the stage uh, along with a uh, elderly woman. And they saw the cloud forming. The stadium did not have a roof on it. They, they saw the cloud forming. And uh, he said that he and some of the other preachers started praying these nice little cute prayers. But, I mean, I'm just saying what he said. Okay? He said they started praying these nice little cute prayers about you know, God doing this and God doing that in reference to the weather. And he said, this uh, elderly woman got up and he said, she prayed like this. He said, she, she said, Lord, we're here for you. We're here to hear your gospel. We've gathered here in your name. And, 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 and this is your will that we be here. And I'm praying that no drop of rain get in this stadium. Now, I wasn't there, but this is what Dr. Evans said. He said, it started raining, and they could see it coming toward the stadium. Right? There were some people even taking cover, and they saw it coming toward the stadium. And, and, and Dr. Evans said, when that rain got to the stadium, it split, went around the stadium, and picked back up on the other side. That's, that's what he said. And watch this. I don't have any reason not to believe that. Because I know who God is. I have no reason not to believe that God is able to, to, to be he's so sovereign that he can actually control the rain like that. I have no reason not to believe that. Well, you might say, well, Pastor, that's scientifically impossible. I'm not talking about science. I'm talking about God. Oh, come on. Pray for your children, right? I know it's difficult. Pray for them, right? When you need strength to run, pray. Right? When you need strength to keep running, pray, right? When the river seems uncrossable, pray, right? You can even pray for fair weather. You know what? That snow was so pretty the other Saturday. Oh, yeah. The other Saturday. And I, I'm telling you this. I'm, I'm, I'm just, when the weatherman says it's going to snow, I'm just not optimistic at all. I'm just, you're right. So I get up around 8 o'clock that Saturday morning. I, I look out the window. I said, Tina! <laughs> it snowed everywhere. 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 He said, oh, just a little bit. I said, no, oh, it's, it's about two, three inches out of here. Then I started thinking, tomorrow's Sunday. And I wish I could express to you how much I love coming here to be with the saints on Sunday. I started praying. I said, Lord, I don't want to counsel anything. And I asked the Lord to take it all away. 
Thank you, God. And I'm not saying I'm some super prayer warrior, so don't, 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 don't go there. But I did ask him that. Yes. And around three o'clock, I didn't see anything. It wasn't because that the, the, the temperature went up so high either. And it wasn't because it rained either. Wow. We can pray for temporary advantages. Thank you, God. We came to church that Sunday, didn't we? Yes. Hello, somebody. Yes. Pray! Yes. I want you to see a lesson here about prayer that we need to learn that God struck me with as I studied this. The command is to flee, right? Verse 14, it's urgent that we flee. Verse 15 and 16, the problems in trying to flee in this context, right? The lesson that God taught me about prayer, we need to take the word of God and turn it into prayer. Right? In this context, for example, pray for the wisdom to see the sign Jesus is talking about. Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation, flee. Pray for wisdom to see it, right? Then you can pray for grace to flee quickly because your natural tendency is going to be, go in the house. Then you can pray for, for, for those who you know will have difficulty fleeing. Then you can pray for the Lord's providence to keep this from happening in the wintertime. And all of that comes from taking God's word, turning it into prayer. Maybe you say, I want a prayer life, but I don't know how to pray. Steady, you'll learn how to pray. Pray the word. Pray it back to him. Have I got some words? Pastor, but you know, I was talking about this sovereignty of God stuff. It was not stuff, it's real. So, I shouldn't say that. If God is sovereign, why do I need to pray, Pastor? Right? God is sovereign. We know that he hears our prayers. We know that he answers prayer, don't we? Does anybody have any answers to prayer? Think about guys like Abraham and Moses. Think about the personal interaction they had with the Almighty God. They would argue prayer works, man. Prayer helps. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know something interesting here? AD 70 didn't happen in winter. It happened in August. I think somebody was praying. <laughs> but God is sovereign. Why do I need to pray? Well, God's will is certain, isn't it? God's will is certain, right? But i tell you something about it. He delights to do his will and answer to the prayers of his people. He delights to do his will and, and answer to the prayers of his people. See, prayer, my, my brothers and sisters, constitutes the appointed channel by which God seeks at times to work his will. Now, God is not limited to that channel, but I believe he highly prefers it. Know why I believe that? Because God will declare his will and he says, you got to flee. And then he moves his people to pray. Right? 
What an honor he confers upon us. We're not robots, are we? We're servants. And, and, and God has conferred upon us the honor to be able to pray down his will. So prayer is God's means for accomplishing his wills in a lot of situations. Prayer, prophecy calls for urgent flight. I want you to notice, secondly, and lastly, the prayer, the prophecy calls for urgent flight. This is not real easy here. The prophecy describes severe tribulation. That's uh, verses 19 and 20. Severe tribulation. So I want you to notice two things about this one in verse 19, one in verse 20. In verse 19, we see the devastation in this tribulation. The devastation in this tribulation. For in those days, there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. Wow. That's a description of severe tribulation. Did you agree with that? Oh my goodness. And remember who's talking. <laughs> he can't be wrong. Jesus is talking, right? And please don't get me wrong. None of the word of God can be wrong because it's the word of God, yes. whether Jesus is speaking or not. Okay? I would argue that right now the scene shifts from, from those escaping Jerusalem to the very siege itself, to the terrorists faced by those inside the city. For in those days there will be such tribulation. Stop right there for a moment. And I, I, I know, I know, I've got to deal with it and never will be. MacArthur would say, you got to deal with that because that's not AD 70. That's what he would say. Okay. I read it. <laughs> okay. You might go home and look at it like, oh, Pastor Rob. <laughs> well, just listen to me, all right? For in those days gives an explanation for the extreme urgency. Would you agree? For, because in those days, it gives an explanation. See, those tragic days will have a character of, 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 of severe tribulation. And in the Greek, the word tribulation is actually derived from uh, the wine press for grapes, squeezing them, right? Pressing them. It draws its meaning from also the threshing floor for grain sifting. So when you think of tribulation here in the context, tribulation literally means to squeeze, crush, to press. And it refers then to, to trouble that inflicts distress, oppression, affliction, serious trouble, trouble to the point of bursting. That's the idea. 
pretty serious. And then he explains it further in the next part of the verse. As has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. As has not been. Perfect tense. Unpar it pictures unparalleled intensity. Wow. So it's an abiding fact. Never will be. Wow. Emphatically, there never will be another like it. Now, the concept of, of uh, a period of unparalleled distress causes problems. If these two verses simply depict the horrors surrounding the War of 1870, it's hard to see how verse 20 could be true. If they point to some end time tribulation just before the return of Christ, it's hard to see how Mark allows for a gap of at least 2,000 years between verse 19 and 20. Or verse 18 and 19, excuse me. So how are we to understand this, beloved? Here's how we're to understand this. I'm going to be consistent with what I said last week, verse 14. AD 70 foreshadows something even greater. Okay? This great tribulation is the period between the devastation of AD 70 and even the period before Christ returns. In other words, I believe it points in two directions. I believe it points in two, di two directions and I would argue, let the reader understand. It's swollen with meaning. Um, I said, well, Pastor, 87 wasn't that bad. I would say, you haven't read your history. Josephus that I referenced, I think last week, yeah, I referenced him last week, and I referenced him before in the previous verses in some of what he documented in history. You know he was actually there in AD 70 when this happened. He was actually there. Here's how he describes the horrors of AD 70. And this is a summary. This, uh, he goes into greater detail. But this is what he said. He said, outside the city, the Romans, the Romans, crucified so many Jews that they ran out of wood for crosses. And you know through Jesus what a crucifixion is about, right? He said inside there was extreme infighting, murder, famine, disease, and even cannibalism. Thousands were slaughtered when Romans breached the walls. Josephus argues, some says his numbers are a little bit exaggerated, but oh, he argues that over one million Jews were killed. He has terrifying descriptions of the, the famine so rampant. He says that mothers were boiling their children to eat them. 
He also says people were eating their own defecation. He says 100,000 died in the siege and 97,000 were taken prisoner, prisoner by the Romans. Luke, in his Oliver Discourse in Luke 21, he, he describes the great distress with more specificity than Mark. He says people were fall by the sword and be taken captive. Some say that he's using hyperbole. Jesus is using hyperbole here, and I can, I can, I can walk with that. But although AD seventy is not as uh, bad in terms of magnitude. It was just as bad in terms of intensity. And what I just described to you is not all of it, but it's pretty bad, what do you think? So, I definitely would argue that, 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 that Jesus is, 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 is still pointing to and talking about AD 70. But I would also argue that his words are swollen with meaning, and the reader needs to understand. I would also argue that, it, that, that Jesus' words points not only to a near future, but to a distant future. Why would I argue that? Well, just listen to Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. You can jot it down, okay? Daniel writes, at that time shall arise Michael. It's not some dude named Michael. That's the Michael the Archangel. The great prince who has charge of your people. And there should be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. That sounds so familiar, doesn't it? But, but, but at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So Daniel's talking about a terrible time, isn't he? Jesus is talking about a terrible time, isn't he? It's going, it, it, it's going to be a terrible time in AD 70 that I just described. But the Bible talks about a, 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 a terrible time, distant future. This is not pretty. But listen, because I am closing with verse 20, so this is not pretty. Judgment's coming. And I, I told you at the beginning of this, I'm not going to be interacting with different uh, eschatological views and so forth. I would do that probably. I would do that in, in a in a Bible study, okay? And um, you know, personally, I, I'm not going to try to preach a message after message on Daniel because I think I would lose you in Mark, <laughs> okay? But just listen. And what I'm telling you, we. We need to make sure we're in Christ. Listen to what's coming. And this is not AD 70. Okay? Judgment's coming. John talks about it in Revelation because Jesus showed it to him. Listen to the first vow of judgment. Revelation 16, 2. You just jot it down. And I'm just uh, coming, coming to, 
give a commentary on, on, on what's going to happen. According to Revelation 16:2, some kind of vile, cancerous sore is going to be poured out on mankind. The second vile, Revelation 16:3, according to that verse, the waters of the sea are turned to blood, and every creature in the sea dies. The third vial of judgment, according to Revelation 16, 4 through 7, the fresh waters of the earth are turned to blood. The fourth vial of judgment, according to Revelation 16, 8 and 9, the sun's heat is intensified and means bodies are burned by the heat of the sun, and yet with all of that torment, they still won't repent, according to those verses. The fifth vial of judgment, Revelation 16, verse 10, this, this plague brings darkness and intense pain to the inhabitant of the earth. Again, so intense that people will gnaw their tongues in their pain and still will not repent. According to Revelation 16, 12 through 14, the sixth vial, the Euphrates River is dried up, preparing a way for the nations of the earth to descend upon Israel for the final conflict. The seventh vow, Revelation 16, 17 through 21. It brings a terrible cataclysm in the earth. There's an earthquake of such magnitude that the islands of the sea sink and all the mountains of the earth fall down flat. And on top of this, all the major cities of the earth will be destroyed. Hailstone will fall from the heavens that weighs around 125 pounds each. Guess when the word of God has been wrong about something? Hmm. Never. You don't need to flee to Judea. You need to flee to Christ. You're not, if you don't, you're not going to find out I was right. I'm nothing but a parent. All I'm doing is I'm just a parent. God says, word says, say this, and I say, Oh, this is what God's word says. God says, say this. I said, this is what God's word says. God says, say this. I said, this is what God's word says. And that's all I I haven't created or originated anything. It's old news. <laughs> right? That's horrible. So, yes, I believe uh, verse 19 points to AD 70, but I believe it points beyond AD 70. And I got dear friends. Say all of this is AD 70. And I love him. But I just can't see that in scripture. <laughs> okay. It's going to be a tremendous and great tribulation. Over one half of the world's population will die from starvation, disease, war. With time of unimaginable horror, suffering, pain, and death. I love Jesus. You know what I love about Jesus, even in him saying that? Because Jesus does not preach what these health, wealth, crazy guys preach. He doesn't preach a Christian life, come to Jesus and everything will be fine. Jesus tells the truth. Amen. It's going to be difficult, it's going to be hard, but that argues for his greatness. Yes. Nobody argues for his greatness. 
I just think about this, this, this old boy right here, this little frail weak boy right here. You know why the argument's worse greatness? Because as hard as the Christian life can get, I'm still going to be perfected in holiness. I'm still never separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I'm still going to be okay, no matter how hard it gets, not because of my greatness, but because of his greatness. He says, I don't have to make it easy to be able to carry out my plan. It can get as hard as it can get, and I'll still bring you through. Yes. How do I know that? Verse 20, and I'm done. How do I know that? Verse 20, and I'm done. It's going to be great devastation. Wouldn't you agree? It describes a, it, it, it describes a severe tribulation, this prophecy does. But verse 20, second point, under the description of severe tribulation, the divine intervention in this tribulation. Hey, glory. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Two things. The intervention is predetermined. It's predetermined. Walk slow, quiet. I'm not quite done. Amen. Walk slow. Walk real slow. I'm not quite done. <laughs> the intervention is predetermined. 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 If the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. Well, that's pretty strong, isn't it? Cut short. Cut short. You see that? You still looking at your Bibles? If you're looking at the clock, it's uh, 1248. Every, every listening to God, time doesn't matter. Cut short. You see those words? You know what that does? That puts the action in the past. You need to hear this. What do you mean the action is in the past and Jesus is talking about the future? Cut short is in the past. It puts the action in the past. You know what that means? That means that God had already decreed those days to be cut short. Well, when did God decree? Before the foundation of the world. Yes, Y'all don't even hear me. Yes, you don't even hear me. He decreed it before the foundation of the world. And cut short literally means amputated, mutilated. In other words, practically speaking, it will be stopped instantly. When God says it's to be stopped. Yes, yes. Praise you, Lord. All right. All right. Wow. That's pretty, that's pretty heavy when you think about it. But, but before I tell you how heavy it is, you say, if God hadn't cut short, no human being would be saved. Now you look at that and you think uh, he's talking about salvation. That's not what he's talking about. He said, no flesh. He's talking about human life and its frailty and infirmity. Yes, God has curtailed the period to prevent the destruction of the human race. 
<laughs> That's what he's talking about. He said, he, he said, he said, everybody would die. Right? Amen. Nobody. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about the whole human race would be annihilated if God doesn't step in. Wow. Okay. Sounds like to me that we know God is sovereign in terms of what he says is going to happen in history. So he's sovereign over all of history. God is also sovereign over all of suffering. Yes. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, you're going to be right home and get that. Now, while I do not agree, I have to, have to pretext this meeting. While I do not agree that we can say our suffering has an expiration date, God can say that our suffering has an expiration date that God has on his calendar. God is sovereign over all suffering. You remember when Jesus is, Jesus is being judged. <laughs> the king thinks he can do it to Jesus whatever he wants to. Jesus said, no, you can't. My paraphrase. You can only do what my father says you can do. That's all you can do. And when God says it's over, it's over. God had predetermined Yes, sir. He had predetermined when it would start yes, and when it would stop. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, we can, we can really sing one glad morning when this life is over. I'll fly away. Yeah. We, can really, we, we can really sing soon and very soon. I'm going to see the king. We can see if you're suffering right now, there's always hope. In our suffering because God is sovereign over our suffering. For example, 87 lasted about five months. Around five months. Speaking of the great tribulation, Daniel talks about it. God says, three and a half years, that's it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what we say? Because we don't believe in the sovereignty of God. But what if this? What if that? What if this? And, 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 and what if this happened? What if that happened? There are no what ifs with God. If God says he's going to keep yes, me yes. for three and a half years, then I'm going to be kept for three and a half years. No matter what happens to me. If God says I can make it through uh, three and a half years of intense suffering, then no doubt about it, I'm going to make it. God doesn't deal with what ifs because it's all contained in him. God has the power to bring his plan about, doesn't he, man? He has the power. He's sovereign. And, and because of his pervasive love, we never have to worry about being insecure. Right? Wow. The intervention is predetermined. God has predetermined it all. 
<laughs> God has predetermined it all. Yes. <laughs> My suffering is in his hand. Your suffering is in his hand. Right? Isn't that good news? If it was in the hand of Satan, uh, all of us should be screaming. But Job can tell you. Job didn't say, those slaves, uh, those Satan slay me, yet without trust him. Job said, though he slay me, yet without trust him. Because he knew, although Satan was doing it, all suffering is under the sovereign control of God. When God said enough to Satan, that's it. The intervention is predetermined, right? That's our Father. The intervention is personal. Why do you say it's personal, Pastor? He says, watch this. But for the sake of the elect, just in case you don't get election, whom he chose? He shortened the days. If you were to ask God, why did you decree predetermined to shorten the days? God would say, because of my elect. Saints, I don't know about you. I'm trying to stay on the ground right now. I don't know about you. But I cannot get in my mind why God was shorten any time of suffering for me. When all I deserve is his wrath and his judgment in the eternal lake of fire, damnation for every sin I committed that I cannot pay for, that's all I deserve. Then God says, I'm going to shorten the days of suffering on earth because of you. What kind of love is that? Good. God says, I'm shortening the days. Hey, glory. I'm shortening the days for my elect. And some said, the elect here is uh, Israel. Sorry, don't agree. No, I think the elect here, to all faithful believers, whether Jew or Gentiles, the elect here are uh, those who before knew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I believe these are all of those who he chose in Christ before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. I believe that these are his elect that he chose in Christ. And it was settled before the foundation of the world. And God says, I'm shortening the days for them. <laughs> Woo. Yes, sir. Even in that time of great suffering that Revelation talks about, God has elect, even in that time. Listen to what Revelation 7 9 says. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. God said Yes, sir. No, it's important to remember. Whenever suffering comes, you know, you, you, you can go study out. 
the es eschatology and get good resources maybe to uh, help you study and you know I'll be happy to recommend some that you know if I recommend some I'm not going to recommend like one position because I, I think you need to have a broader understanding but anyway the important point to remember is that God is in control persecution will come God has decreed it but God will never forget his people. Thank you, God. It does not matter how bad it gets. Listen, God says, I'm always going to step in. For the sake of the event. God decreed something before time and history even began. Before time and history even began, God already had decreed yes. how much suffering yes. we would go through. Yes. And God had already decreed <laughs> even when it gets this bad. That I'm going to show the days because of my name. So tribulation comes. Yes, sir. It comes. But God is always greater. God is always soft. God is always at work. God is always using it. All of my suffering, God is always using it. And what do I need to do? Keep fleeing to Christ. Keep obeying him urgently. Keep praying when it gets so hard that I don't think I can go another day. Keep praying. Calling on, on, on the name of the Lord. No matter how severe it gets, always know, y'all can come down quiet, that God is always greater than what I'm going through. But also, always know this, that what I'm going through serves God's purpose right. to fulfill his plan right. for my life, for the life of the church, mm -hmm. all for his glory. Yes, sir. So, you're suffering and you want God to get glory? You know what you need to do? Keep fleeing to Christ. Make obedience of priority. Yes. Keep calling on his name. Yes, sir. Right. Yes, sir. And you'll make it yes. through the AD 70 stuff. In the great tribulation. Now, I have I have uh, views on that that I'm not going to share with you because I want you to go study yourself. <laughs> but I tell you what, we're going to make it. Oh yes, sir. Yeah. For His glory. For His glory. God bless you. God bless you.